welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. All right, well, so now that we're all, we're all accurately... Um, riled up. Let's jump into the Word of God. Let's talk. Let's continue into forgiveness. Come on, somebody. Let's continue into forgiveness. We've been walking through forgiving yourself, how to forgive yourself, and and the need for forgiving yourself. How many of you enjoyed having Manessa up with us, sharing with us last week? Was that was that helpful to anybody hearing a different story? All right, yeah, I enjoyed having her up here with me and uh, getting her perspective as she forgave herself. And um, I, I think that's, that's helpful. And really, we want City Chapel to be a church where that kind of thing happens, not just on the stage, but it happens uh, in the park or it happens at Starbucks or it happens as you, what? You're just throwing out more options of places it can happen. Oh my gosh, yes, okay, McDonald's, sushi, uh, I don't know, where else, you got Chick-fil-A, um, donuts, yes, okay, that's great. So there's an exhaustive list of the places these kinds of conversations can, ha- can, can happen, but we want them to be happening because your testimony is important. Your testimony is helpful, no matter what your testimony is. My testimony growing up was I was saved when I was six, and... That was kind of it, you know. And so it was a boring testimony because everybody else would get up and they'd share, you know, I was strung out on drugs and I came to Jesus in 1979. And, you know, and then they had this really heavy, heavy, awesome testimony. And me, I was like, well, I was six years old and I came forward and I prayed. And, and so it's, the, point is, the, the point is we all can discount our own testimony. Because whatever your testimony is, is probably boring to you, or it's probably bad to you, or it's probably not that great. And you think somebody else's testimony is amazing. You think, oh, man, if I was saved at six, I'd be sharing that every single Sunday, you know. And, it's, and so the truth is, like, your testimony, your testimony is powerful. You don't have to share other people's stories. Your testimony, your story is powerful. When, when people, when your friends and family and relatives and coworkers... When, and, and fellow students in college, when they ask you, like, like, what can God do? You have a story. You don't have to jump back to, you don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to memorize the book of Genesis. Like, you have a story of what God can do. And, and so I want you to share that. I want you to impart that to people. I want you to be open about that. And I'm thankful for Manessa sharing that. And, and you know, it's different people were, were saying how brave she was to share that. And it's, I don't know. It's not, it's not bravery. It's just obedience to the Holy Spirit to share what God's done for me. And, and maybe it'll help somebody. Maybe it'll help you. And when, when, you, when it does, it's pretty awesome. So uh, I want to encourage you to do that. But today I want to jump into another level, another dimension of forgiveness. I know many of us are still working on forgiving ourselves. And that's good. It's going to be a long journey of forgiving yourself because you've probably messed up more than once. Okay? So uh, each time, though, you, it's really important to go back to that time, work through the process of forgiveness, and then pray and say, God, where else have I not forgiven myself? And let him reveal to you something else that you did. Sometimes it's sin that you did that you haven't released yourself for yet. Sometimes it's stupidity. You missed out on opportunities that you should have jumped on. You missed out on relationships that you should have pursued, right? Uh, there, were, there, were, there were healthy people in your life that you let go or you pushed away. And sometimes you have to forgive yourself 
for that, okay? So, so keep praying into that. Keep allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. But I can't preach on that for the rest of the year. So I, I need to keep moving. I need to keep moving to a little something else about, uh, and today I want to talk to you just briefly about forgiving. And I say briefly because literally I'm not going to be able to cover it all today. Um, and, I, and, and, I, and I want a time of response for you to respond to God and allow him to give you the gift of forgiveness. Because that's important. This is not just something that you do on your own. All right, this is something you receive grace from God to do. Okay, so that's why, that's, that's, that's why it's so difficult because actually it's impossible. <laughs> like getting saved is impossible right? You can't get saved on your own. You can't one day wake up and decide, I am going to be saved. No, it's a gift, a free gift that God gives to us. So you can receive it. And so it's that, that's, that's, the, that's the struggle. The struggle is to get to the place where you are ready and able to receive the free gift of salvation. And so even with regard to forgiving yourself, and when I, when I say go through the work, I mean go through the work of getting yourself in a place to receive from God the power to forgive yourself. Just even just yesterday, uh, Micah uh, had, had, a, had a rough day. Um, the day before, he was all excited. He got this new fishing lure. All right, and it, and, uh, it was a special kind that, uh, that Finn had. Finn came over and was fishing in our pond, and he got this new lure for his birthday, and Micah was fascinated with it. And so afterward, he said, can I go to Walmart and spend $5? Because he has some money saved up. Can I go to Walmart? And five bucks is kind of big for a 10-year-old. Can I go to Walmart and buy that fishing lure or see if it's there? And I said, sure. So him and I, that night, because I'm an amazing dad, um, I just took him right then and there and uh, just pat myself on the back. And we went, and um, anyway, we looked for we found it and he found it and then he took a picture and sent it to Corey's phone so Finn could see it and uh, he was all excited about it and and he was gonna go shooting with us yesterday I said man like, you can come you like you're allowed you can shoot my 22 he's never shot my 22 and and he's like I think I want to I think I want to try out my new lure instead and I said you could do that any day at any time are you sure and he's like yeah he was struggling with it and finally he decided to stay home and go fishing with his new lure and so I get home and he says dad I caught a fish with my new lure and I said, that's awesome and then, though, that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, unfortunately, see, mom has had this rule in our, in, in our house. We have a pond in our backyard, and mom has a rule that we don't have lures with multiple hooks on them. I don't know what those are called. It's like the tri-hook thing. It's got three little... Trouble, yes, trouble. Oh, trouble. Okay. Well, they're trouble hooks, and uh, they just and, and 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 so mom has this rule because we are a catch and release kind of family. We're not a catch and dad skin and us figure out some kind of no no no. That's not going to go over well. I'm not going to do that. We're going to catch and release, and so it's much easier if it's only one hook in the fish instead of like all of these you know jaws of death. Like you know destroy. We don't want we don't want to destroy the fish. We don't want to obliterate them. We just want to catch them and throw them back. So mom's had this rule. Well, his new lure has two sets of treble hooks on it. And, and because it's brand new, he wanted to try it out like that. And so I said, I don't know, take it up with your mom. Like you guys figure it out because she's the one going to be home. She's the one going to be, you know, working it out of the fish. I'm not doing that. So you guys can decide that. And so mom said, you know, go ahead and give it a shot if that's what you want to try. And so he did. So the one fish he caught yesterday apparently got massacred by this lure, like got multiple hooks in it. And then the back hooks were also like hooked in its 
gills or something like it was pretty rough and so Madden is like guarding the fish on the pier but she doesn't have shoes on she told me so she couldn't put her foot on its tail I guess it was more like stay just stay just stay it was it was a girl guarding like she didn't want to touch it and bare feet you know and so she's like eh. and so Micah runs running into the house to get help from mom and the fish is like you know trying to save its life and flopping around and it flops off of the pier into the water and snaps the line and then it kind of I don't know it's it the poor thing's still you know limping around in our pond somewhere but he lost the lure that's the that's the that's the really sad that's the really sad part and so the fish you know died or I don't know is maimed I'm not sure we haven't seen it floating on the pond so it might not be dead but uh, he can't find the lure and so he was quite sad about that and he's telling me about that and I and so I just got home and I said well you know I got home from 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 shooting a bunch of things and I said um, I said man like I can I can buy you a new one and he thought about it he said no it's okay and I said are you sure <laughs> like I, we can go to Walmart right now I'll get you a new one and he thought about it and he said no it's okay but he was still really sad about it and so later on in the day he comes to me and he's like dad if you want to buy me a new one that would be okay I was like okay I didn't know it but he had a conversation with with Roe several conversations in between there about how it's it's embarrassing for dad to buy me a new one and I thought man that is that's the struggle that I am facing, not just as a dad, trying to convince my kids that I really want to bless them and that it, it's okay even if they're the ones who messed it up. But also folks in the church that God's put me over, trying to convince them that their Heavenly Father really does want to bless them, even though they're the ones that messed it up. <laughs> Even though it was their stupidity and it was their, I just want to try this multiple lure thing. I know that, you know, I'm not supposed to, but I just want to, you know, and they lost what they purchased, like the, what they worked for. And, the, and their heavenly father wants to just say, you know what, I'll just buy you a brand new one. <laughs> and so anyway, I just, I, I just feel like some of you might be there. Uh, you might need to take a lesson from my 10-year-old and, and, and literally humble yourself. That's the key. You don't have to work for what you lost. You can humble yourself and your heavenly father can say, I, I got five bucks. Like, it's okay. That, that, that's how much the lure costs. $5. A gallon of gas. <laughs> that's the way I measure things now. It's like, how many gallons is that? I can buy those shoes. That's just 10 gallons, you know? Uh, anyway, just kidding. Um, yeah. Yeah. And your heavenly father has stuff for you that he can just, he's got... He's got the resources. He has peace for you. He has joy for you. He has, he has new relationships for you. He has brand new opportunities for you. All the stuff you missed out on, all the stuff you did to yourself. He can go to Walmart and, and like in five minutes. He can take care of it and he's, he's not going to blink about it. It's not even a big deal. But he's not going to force you. And he's not going to make you. He's going to ask you, do you, want me to, do you want me to make that up for you? Do you want me to do, you want me to do that? And then if you can humble yourself and come to him and say, yeah, dad, yes, I need you to make up for all the stuff that I lost. I'm telling you, God will do some good stuff. So, um, but I want to jump a little deeper today because I want you to forgive yourself, but I also want you to forgive others. All right. And so I don't even know that we're going to get to the forgiving others part today because uh, it's a big deal. But I want to start somewhere. 
And, I, and, and, and as I was praying, I felt like the sort of the nucleus, the, the, the center of this forgiveness is a forgiveness that we must extend to ourselves, which we receive from Christ. So it always starts with Christ. And then we extend that mercy and that forgiveness to ourselves. But after we have done that, I really think the next most difficult people to forgive because the most difficult is yourself let's be honest because you did it and you know that you were dumb and that you were like that's the hardest but after that i think the next hardest are the people who who did things to you who did them intentionally who did them willfully uh, Genesis 50, and we don't have this passage in Scripture, but Genesis 50, uh, verse 20, I believe it is, Joseph is looking at his brothers, and he's speaking about their activity toward him, and he says, you intended it for evil. And those are some of the most difficult people to forgive, the ones that you know intended it for evil. They're never going to apologize. In fact, I don't think his brothers ever did apologize. <laughs> They're never going to come say they're sorry. They, they, they intended it for evil. And, and that's part of walking down Justice Avenue is understanding what was done to you and, 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 and really, really sitting with that, that it was evil, that it was wrong. Not whitewashing it, not saying, well, they, they probably meant well. No, no, you meant evil. And those are some of the toughest people to forgive, people that meant evil. Evil. Sometimes it's easier to forgive people who perhaps they had good intentions and they just weren't smart enough or strong enough or, or wise enough or maybe they were caught up in their own thing. And, 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 and certainly some of that was true with regard to Joseph's brothers. Remember, Joseph's brothers were caught up in jealousy. And let's face it, Joseph's dad didn't help matters very much when he favored his son over the others. He favored Joseph. And that's not good to favor your kids, okay? All your parents in here, like, don't, don't prop up any of your kids as being perfect. And all the rest need to look to this one, okay? It's not helpful. And so there, there was a messed up family dynamic for Joseph and his brothers. And his brothers were brought up in this. And Joseph even got extra gifts that his brothers did not get. And so Joseph, yes, there is an unhealthy environment in this place, but that unhealthy environment transitioned to bitterness in his brothers. There was jealousy, there was bitterness, there was anger, there was a, a hatred, there was murder in their heart, like they wanted to kill him. And they were going to go through with it. And Joseph is honest about this. He says, you intended evil for me when you sold me into slavery. For those of you that don't know the story of Joseph, Joseph is the, the youngest son of, um, of the lineage of the Messiah. God came to Abraham, and then Abraham had um, Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And that's where we get the, the, the nation Israel even today. It's from the 12 tribes or the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel. And Joseph is the youngest son. And he's got these 11 other brothers, and they all hate him, some at varying levels. <laughs> but most of them agree something has to be done about Joseph. We can't stand this guy, and we can't stand his dreams, and we can't stand his favoritism that he gets from his dad, and so we're going to kill him. And then one of them, I think it was Judah, said, well, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into, the, in, 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 into this pit here. And, uh, and he was planning on coming back and saving him. So like I said, they all didn't hate him equally. Uh, one guy wanted to try to, you know, save him. And, and, and while he was in the pit, uh, you know, uh, Judah goes out for lunch. Was it Reuben? 
is Reuben. Reuben goes out for lunch and he goes out for a Reuben sandwich and, and, he's, and he's, he's not there. And while he's not there, they sell him into slavery, right? And, and he's sold into slavery into Egypt, into the most oppressive country at that time, the most dangerous country. Uh, it's worse than Russia. Uh, he sold into a very oppressive, and the slaves were not treated well. He wasn't going to be treated well. He was, he was, he was human trafficking. And, and what's, what's so difficult about it is that it's not like he was kidnapped by the Egyptians away from his home. No, no, no. He was sold by the people who were supposed to protect him. The people who are supposed to love him, his brothers who were supposed to be there for him. Scripture tells us that a brother is born for adversity. Uh, not to stab you in the back. Like that's not, and so David even says this in the Psalms. He's like, man, if it, would, if it would have been my enemy that turned against me, that would have been easier to handle, but it was my own brother, it was my own friend, it was the one who walked beside me on the way, on my way to the temple, right? It's often the hardest people to forgive are the ones that are closest to you. And so the real question is, okay, how do I forgive myself? We've begun to walk through that, but now how do I forgive my relatives? I've even thought, uh, babe, we haven't talked about this, but I, I even thought we, we might want to do a sermon just on how do I forgive my spouse? Because it's, it, it, if you don't learn how to forgive, I don't care what kind of marriage, you could have the best marriage in the world, but you're going to have to learn to forgive your spouse at some point in time. Because at some point in time, your spouse is going to hurt you, and it's probably going to be intentional. Because they're human. And they're going to say things to intentionally hurt you. They're going to do things to intentionally hurt hurt you. And so if you're going to be married for more than five minutes, you're going to need to learn how to forgive. You're going to have to get good at forgiving. You say, oh, I'm not good at forgiving. Well, if you're not good at forgiving, you're going to be good at becoming bitter. Because there's no such thing as stagnant. There's no, you can't just like withhold forgiveness and say, well, well, I have, I have unforgiveness in my heart. That's, that's, that's the Christian term. I have unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody. No, you don't. You don't have unforgiveness. By the way, unforgiveness isn't even a word. I'm kind of a grammar Nazi, and I've been like, like, if it, like, like whenever, whenever you all say y'all, I'm like, that's not really a word. And then you guys have been, see that you guys have been saying y'all so much that I think they actually put it in Webster's Dictionary. I think they literally put it in because they're like, fine, y'all are just going to keep saying it. It's not a word, but y'all got it in there. And I refuse to say, I, I refuse. I, I like, I, I'm from Michigan. I am not adopting y'all. And uh, especially not you, not, especially not all y'all. Cause that's just, that's just, that's just bad grammar multiplied. You just took it and you're just like, well, let's just, let's add more to it. And uh, so anyway, it got, it got even worser when you, when you, no. Oh, 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 that's not a word. Oh, that's not a word. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm going to say it a lot. Maybe Webster's going to put it in there. Yeah, worser. That's right. It's worse and er. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, so I'm kind of a grammar Nazi. And so I'm, I'm, I'm making my notes for today. And one of my, like my first point was, because I was going to look at the, the two things that happens with, with unforgiveness with regard to not a word, with regard to uh, our relationships. The first is the, the, the unforgiveness will keep you out of heaven. 
And so I was going to put that out there. That was going to be my first, that was going to be my, my, my first point. And I typed in unforgiveness, well, and then there's those little red squiggly lines underneath. And I was like, that's not wrong. That's the, like, that's the right spelling, unforgiveness. That's how you spell. There's no other way to spell it. But nope, it, the, a, Apple's telling me I'm wrong. And so, so I went to Google, and I typed in, is unforgiveness a word? And sure enough, it's not. There's this whole, there's these write-ups on it. And I'm like, oh, I've been saying a word that's not a word, and everybody else understands exactly what I mean. We've all agreed this is a word, and it's not. So the technical word is unforgivingness, which doesn't mean unforgiveness necessarily. It means to be in the state of unforgiving, that you are in an unforgiving state. And that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having unforgiveness, like refusing to forgive somebody for something. That's what I'm talking about. And there is no word in the English language for that. So I typed into Google, what is another word for unforgiveness? And the first one was merciless. The next one was bitterness. And I started realizing, maybe that's why we say unforgiveness. Because it feels so much nicer than merciless. I'm not, now, now Putin's merciless. I'm not merciless. Uh, Joseph, you know, Stalin, okay, fine, merciless. No, I'm not merciless. I, I just have a little unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody. But that's the thing, you don't. Because you're not static. You're not a, you're not, you are a growing thing. In fact, your body is changing even right now while you sit here. Every seven years, every cell in your body dies. It has a baby and it dies. It's not the right way to say it, but it reproduces itself and it dies. So that every seven years, you're physically, you're an entirely different person than you were seven years ago. Now, now, now it got the same DNA from what it had before, which is why you look very similar. But every seven years, your body is like recycling itself. Seven years is also the years of Jubilee, and there was seven <clears throat> days of creation. So there, there's a lot going on there. But even within your own body, you're not sitting there. You are, you are actively growing in a particular direction. And that's why at the, at the end of, well, it's not the end of the pandemic, but somehow it is. Uh, so anyway, at the end of the pandemic, some marriages are better off than they were, and some marriages are worse off. Come on, somebody. They're worse, That's what I'm talking about. I need to remember that. I need to remember that. I was just trying to make a point before, but this is a thing now. Some marriages, some church members are worse than they... they, 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 they some, some marriages are worse. Why? Because you're not staying the same. You are either growing in the direction of forgiveness or you're growing in the direction of bitterness. There is no merely holding unforgiveness. You're growing in a direction. And so, there is no. Uh, it's not unforgiveness. The thing is, uh, um, Joseph, throughout his years of captivity, he was growing in a direction of forgiveness. In order to arrive at a place of forgiveness, he had to start walking down this road of forgiveness. And as he walked down this road for those, the people who hurt him the most, who were supposed to be there for him and instead stabbed him in the back, 
he is able to forgive them. And so I want to look just quickly, the, a couple of scriptures I do have up there for you is Genesis 45, and this is the encounter that uh, Joseph has with his brothers. Uh, initially, actually, it starts a couple chapters prior to this, but finally it says Joseph could not restrain himself anymore. And so this is the breaking point where Joseph is going to express who he is to his brothers because he is, at this point, so he's he sold into slavery, he works under uh, Potiphar, then he goes into prison for several years and now he's been promoted to the second highest in the land of Egypt he's he's in charge he's the executive director of Egypt uh, immediately under Pharaoh and not only that but this country this country of Egypt even though it was the most powerful country in the world at that time was facing the same famine that everybody else was facing and yet they were not starving because of Joseph Joseph uh, interpreted a dream that the Pharaoh had had and Joseph began planning for seven years before the before the the famine hit and so all the world is starving all the known world and Egypt is doing well because they have these massive storehouses of grain right they have these massive storehouses of food that they can give to their people sell to their people their economy is able to keep going because of Joseph and that's important. And so Joseph is now, he looks like an Egyptian. He talks, he walks like an Egyptian. Anyway, it's a, everybody thinks he's an Egyptian. And now Joseph's brothers are sent to Egypt by his father because they're starving in Canaan, in the land of promise. They're living in tents, they're nomadic people, and they are affected by this famine as much as anybody else. And they don't have any food. So they're going, this is so interesting, they're going to Joseph to get what they need. The very guys who refused to give Joseph what he needed, instead stabbed him in the back, are now coming around to him. They don't know it's him, but they're coming to him asking for help. And this is what Joseph says. Joseph finally can't restrain himself anymore before those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. In other words, all of the other Egyptians. So, so no one stood with him. He, he would have had an entourage, but his entourage leaves him. And while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the whole house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him because they were dismayed in his presence. The word dismayed there means to be greatly afraid. They were, they were, they were shocked on the one hand, and then they start recognizing the similarities, and now they realize this guy has the power to kill them. He doesn't need to go through a court. He doesn't need to go through a legal system. He literally just needs to give the order, and they'll lose their heads. And so nobody says anything. And Joseph, in verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, uh, please come near to me. So they came near and he said, I am Joseph. He's saying it again. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. It's so interesting that as we forgive others, we empower them to forgive themselves. So this, this thing of forgiving myself, yes, it, it's, it's important, but it's not isolated. Right? As you start forgiving yourself, you're going to realize that there's some other people in here that you're going to need to forgive, especially those closest to you. And so he says, do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me 
before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. In other words, the famine is going to keep going for another five years. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity or a family for you on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Therefore, it's, it's not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord to all of his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. If we can leave that slide up there. This is really interesting to me. God sent me before you. And that's what we were talking about last week. That when you walk down the road of consequences, as you walk down consequences, when you understand the sovereignty of God, you can bless God even for the bad things that happened in your life. And, 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 and he says, and he said, you intended it for evil. And that's later on in chapter 50. He says, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And, and, and that comes from forgiving. And in fact, I think the two kind of come together. As you're working on forgiving those people who have wronged you, who have, uh, especially those who are so close to you, you're going to have to do it as, as you forgive them. You have to have a view of the sovereignty of God. That they intended it for evil. Be honest about that. Go down Justice Avenue, right? And then look at the consequences. You sent me here, right? Go ahead, look at those consequences. But then look at how God has used it and what God has done. Yes, yes, your, 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 your parent, may, your, that, that, that father or that mother may have intended what they did for evil. May have, in, may have not cared about how it affected you at all. And it may have flung you into this whole area of depression or into this whole area of self-harm or into this whole thing of self-hate. Maybe their, their actions affected you deeply. And you say, well, how, how, is God, how could God possibly have used that? Well, that's where you need the role of, of the Holy Spirit to help you understand how God has used that depression to bring you to him. How God has used that, that, that time of self-harm to get you to come to know him, to rely on him, to give up on yourself. Anything, anything that, that gets you out of this skin right here, this flesh, and stops you from focusing on this and starts making you look upward is ultimately a good thing. In fact, it's ultimately leading to the reason why God made you in the first place. See, this is, this is what you need to understand. When, when, when somebody hurts you and they mean it, it's not, I don't know how to say this, but it's not just them. I, I, I would say it's not them, but that's not true. It is. It's not just them. The truth is you have an enemy and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. And, and there is a reason why at age five, somebody intentionally hurts you. And it's not just them. It is them, but it's not just them. See, the truth is, as Joseph is growing up, and as Joseph is having these prophetic dreams from God, and as Joseph is sharing these prophetic dreams with his brothers, his brothers are hearing the prophetic dreams about him ruling. One of the dreams was, I think he was a bale of hay, right? Which is grain, which is food. 
And all this other food is going to come around him and bow to him. And his food is going to get bigger than everybody else's food. It's prophetic about how God was going to use him, not just to rule over people in a sense of dominating people, but to rule over people in a sense of taking care of this family. God has made me a father to Pharaoh. I am here to bless him. I am here to raise him up. I am here to protect him. I am here to shelter him. I am here to benefit him. God has made me a father not a, not a ruler, not a, not a dictator, not, a, not, not somebody to tell him what to do. I'm a father. I'm a caregiver, right? And so and that's like, whatever destiny you have on your life, trust me, is not so that you can be greater. It's not so that you can be in charge. It's so that you can be a father to somebody or multiple somebodies. And as Joseph is sharing his dream, his brothers are hearing it, but his brothers aren't the only ones listening in on those conversations. There is an enemy of your soul and of my soul who wants to defeat and crush the destiny that God has on our lives. Because here's the deal. It's not just about Joseph. And it's not even just about Joseph providing for Pharaoh. I was listening through the daily Bible reading. I have the daily audio that I listen to. And um, I listen to it in the mornings uh, because, you know, it's a good thing to do in the morning. My brain's not fully awake, though. This is before coffee. And so I'm listening to it sometimes, and I'm just, I'm just kind of like zoning. I'm getting dressed and doing my things. And, 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 I, and I heard him going through the genealogy of Moses, and, and he mentioned that he was like the great, 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 whatever grandson of Manasseh, who was the son of Joseph. And I said, what? what? So Moses was, Moses, so, so the enemy's not just, a, a, he's not just interested in, being God's purpose for your life, but 400 years after your life, there is someone that's going to get placed in, 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 into a little river, and then some Egyptian nurse is going to find her, and the princess is going to raise him, and he's going to be in the household of Pharaoh, and then he's going to mess up, and he's going to be in the wilderness for 40 years, and then God's going to call him back, and he's going to stand before Moses and say, let, before Pharaoh and say, let my people go, him and his brother, both great, great, whatever grandson of Joseph. So it's not just about what's happening in your timeline. It's not just about what's happening in your life. The enemy is trying to stop what God is doing long term. And so, and so, and so you, you ask, well, why did this happen to me? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there's a dream that God's placed inside of you and the enemy's trying to shut down the dream that God placed inside of you. He's not just interested in messing up your life or making you miserable. He wants to make you ineffective. Because if he can make you ineffective, then he can stop what God wanted to flow through you. In fact, if, in fact, I don't even think the devil minds if it flows to you. As long as it doesn't flow through you. And that's why some people sit in church for 15 years. Because the devil's good with that. Just don't let it flow through you. As soon as it starts flowing through you, now he's in trouble. And so he's tried to mess up the ability for God's dream that he placed inside of you to come into fruition because it's not just about you. It's going to impact and it's going to bless all of those around you. And here's the, here's the kicker. It's going to bless primarily, what did, what, what did he say? God sent me before you to preserve a family for you and to save your lives. This is why forgiveness is such an important, crucial part of your destiny. Because it 
could be that the very people you're struggling to forgive are the very people that God created you to save. Says that there's a collective. This, this is why Jesus is so big on forgiveness. Jesus is huge on forgiveness. Jesus even says, he says, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father won't forgive you of your sins. And so, you know, I, I, got, to Google, I got on Google and started reading all of this stuff about, well, can I go to heaven if I don't forgive? It's like, no, you can't. I don't understand. What's the debate? Are, are, we, are we misunderstanding something? It's so interesting how we'll be like, ah, maybe Jesus meant something a little bit different. Mike has been reading through the book of Matthew, and the other night he came in, and I was asking him about, he said, he said I just have a question about, about what I was reading. I said, okay, shoot. He said, so Jesus said, if my hand causes me to sin, I should cut it off. I said, yep. <laughs> and he said, okay. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like, oh, Okay. If my eye causes me to sin, I should cut it out, like, like with a knife, get it out. And so then he stops at the door before he goes out of the bedroom, and he's like, why would he say that? And I said, ah, yeah, it's a great question. Why does God think the way he does? <laughs> You're going to be asking that question for the rest of your life, number one, because he's God. And he's good, and he's good God Almighty. And you should praise him in the morning and in the afternoon and the evening, and then you should love him, especially when Corey tells you to. So that's when you should do it. That's when you should do it. But he doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, let's be honest. To my brain, he doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, you know, Micah stopped and said, well, why would he say that? And I said, well, he tells you why. In that same passage, Matthew chapter 5, he says, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. And he tells you why. He says, because it's better for you to enter into heaven with only one hand or only one eye than it is to enter into hell with both your hands and both your eyes. And I said, kind of makes sense, right? And Micah said, yes. From a heaven-hell perspective, yes. And I said, okay, but before you get out a knife, come talk to mom and dad, okay? Just, I'm just, that's all I'm saying. Because we got, we got hospital bills, and we don't have insurance. So we need to figure this thing out. God will make a way. We'll figure this out. <laughs> got, we got to figure this out. Um, because there's wisdom in how you apply it, but there is not a question about what Jesus meant. He's very clear that, that no matter if you, you, you might have prayed a prayer one day and you're like, well, I guess I don't have to worry about my hands and my eyes. Uh, no. You might have got baptized when you were seven. Lovely. You still need to be careful of your hands and your eyes. The truth is forgiveness is, oh, I, I, was, I, was, I was baptized when I was eight. I don't need to forgive people. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I thought it was just, I thought it was just salvation. I, I just pray and that's it. That's all my salvation is. Nope. No, you have to work out or live out. You're going to have to walk out this thing. 
And it's going to include forgiveness. And at any given point, when you say no to the Holy Spirit, you start walking back away from God. You can be unforgiven. That actually is a word. You can be unsaved. You can be unwelcomed. Those are all real words. Because, because it's, it's conditional on your yes. It's conditional. Salvation is always conditional on you receiving the free gift that he's offering you. And if at any given point you say, no, I don't want that. I was down for the attend church once a month and, t and tip occasionally to the church. Like, I was down for that version of Christianity. Like, that's what I wanted. And now you're telling me I have to forgive. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not ready for that level. So at least be honest about it. But the truth is, like, this is very fundamental to not only uh, you going to heaven, which was my first point, right, that unforgiveness will keep you out, but it will also kill your destiny. It'll kill the plan that God had for you because it's very possible that God intended for you to bless, to father, to save, to deliver, to help the very ones that have hurt you. Or let me put it another way. Don't tell me you want to be like Jesus and yet you don't want to save the very ones who are hurting you. Because this is what Jesus did. He came to die for the very ones who were causing him pain. His, and this is what scripture says, that this is the love of God, that in this the love of God was demonstrated that Christ died for the ungodly, that God, Christ died for me. This is not, God didn't say, I love you. He demonstrated his love by suffering and by forgiving the very people who caused him to suffer. And by the way, that wasn't just a couple guys 2,000 years ago. My sin caused him to suffer. Your sin caused him to suffer. It was like, I, it was the old Ray Bolt song. I turned and saw the hammer in my hand, you know. Like it was me. He was dying for me. The perfect lamb of God had to go through everything he went through because of me. And if I can receive his forgiveness, then, then he will happily welcome me into his kingdom. And yet, if I receive his forgiveness from a guy that I caused pain and he welcomed me and then I turn around and I don't extend that forgiveness to somebody who caused me pain. Well, Jesus also has a little story to tell about that. Maybe I'll get into that next week. But 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, and then this, this is a good one for all of us religious people. We got a lot of religious people in here and some watching from their campers. Uh, and, I, and I throw myself into this, into the same, the same religious people uh, group. Like if you have a pastor in front of your name, you are definitely a religious person. Get a title. I went to school to learn how to become more religious. And so, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. And, I, and so I understand us. This is what we do. We, we find, we, we're so good at making little things big. And I think it's because then we can make big things little in our mind. We make little things big, right? And then this is what scripture tells us. Even though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. Even if though I speak, so the, the, speaking with the tongues of men, of men and of angels, right? Speaking in tongues of angels, that's speaking in tongues. That's, that's communicating, speaking in a heavenly language. And we love to make that little thing really big. And it is a thing, but it's a little thing. But we love to make it really big. Like this is how you know that you are close to God. This is how you know that you're spiritual if you start speaking in tongues. And it is a 
gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it is a connection with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But we love to make these little things big. Same thing with church attendance. Right? Like, I'll ask people, like, so when, how long have you been saved? Well, I started going to church. At da, 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 da. And I'm like, wow, okay, you're giving me your church attendance record. I was asking about salvation. But we, 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 we put church on this really, like church, it's almost like we think we're going to go before the, the, the judgment seat of Christ and the books will be opened, right? And it's going to be the book of our record of church attendance. And God's going to be like, so I saw you missed on uh, March 20th, 2022. Um, you went to South by. Can you explain that? You know, like we're going to have to like, but that's not there. There's very little scripture actually about church attendance. And this probably isn't smart for a pastor to say, but I'm just telling you. There's one verse in Hebrews about don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's an, it's an admonishment. It's like tithing. It's an admonishment. There's a, there's a spiritual principle here that'll bless you, that'll help you. But you can go to heaven without it. Jesus never said, look, if you don't go to church, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Like, it wasn't like that. And it's, and, it's, and it's like you talk to religious people about church, like maybe they've been missing a few weeks and the pastor says, hey, is everything okay? I haven't seen you. Like, are you sick? Are you dead? Do you need somebody to bring you food? Like, is anything going Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Why wouldn't I be fine? I'm fine. I'm definitely fine. Whoa. I wasn't saying you weren't. I wasn't saying you're going to like, but it's, but it's because we've put such a weight on it that when the pastor asks us about it, it's like, whoa. Or like when we see someone's not there, where were they? Some of you religious people, you know what I'm talking about. It's a big deal. But in God's eyes, it's not a big deal. I'd much rather somebody come to me and talk to me and be like, Pastor, I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to make it to church. I got this weird work schedule. I got kids. I got, you know, whatever. And I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to make it there. I'm working on it. I'll say, great. You know, you keep working on it. But instead, people don't usually tell me that. People are like, I am definitely there. And then when I talk to them about forgiveness, they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Just give me a little bit more time. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. And I'm like, whoa, no, no, no. This is really important. You need to do this. You need to start this now. It's like we're on the edge of the Titanic, the things like this, getting ready to go into the ocean. There's one lifeboat. And I'm telling you, like, you need to get in this thing. You need to get in the lifeboat. Well, the, the railing's kind of high. I don't know. It's sort of, it's so hard. Yeah, I know, but you need to get into it. Well, I, you know, I, should I put one leg or like both legs? I mean, I don't know. Should I get a running start? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to psych myself up for it. No, you need to do it. You don't need to psych it. You just need to do it. It's that important. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you heard about this little thing called nuclear weapons. You need to do it. I don't know if you heard about this little virus going on. You need to do it. Because once this thing goes down, once you stop breathing, you have no chance to forgive people. And you'll about your little, your little attendance record. And he'll say, but depart from me. I don't even know you. You don't look anything like me. You're merciless. You're bitter. And the floor will open up and you'll fall into never-ending darkness and eternal torment with no possibility of escape. Because you were working on it? No, 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 no. This needs to happen today. This needs to happen right now. 
It's so important. I don't care if you speak in tongues. It's so important. I don't care how well you sing. I speak with the tongues of men. I don't care what good preacher you are. I don't care how many people you led to the Lord because you shared your testimony. That's lovely. That's wonderful. But you have unforgiveness in your heart. You do not have love, the kind of love that God has. This is dangerous. In fact, this is, this, this is what heaven thinks of it. It's, it's sounding. Here we go. If I do that, but I don't have love, he says, he says your prayer life sounds like this. And, and, and you come to church and you sing, Christ is my... I don't know what that's doing to the mic, but... But I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what it's doing to God's ears. I think sometimes God's relieved when church is over because people stop... Like, finally, finally, they can just go back to pre not pretending like they're saved. Finally, like, it's, like, it's going to take God about a half hour just to heal himself of the headache that your supposed worship got him. Because uh, you're over here, amazing grace. And you won't even give that grace to anybody else? For real, stop, just stop posting about how you're praying for Ukraine. It's, it's a sin to pray for people you don't even know when you won't forgive the people in your own life. Oh, Lord, help those people I've never met and they've never done anything to me. Oh, protect them. Except that company Hunter Biden was helping because that sounded sketchy. Bomb that one. But everybody else is helping out over there in Ukraine. And you have people who have done you wrong, who have hurt you, who have wounded you, and you won't even pray for them. You won't pray for their blessing. You won't pray for their help. You won't pray for their salvation. It's, 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 it's like, it doesn't work. It's not worth anything. You're all your speaking, all your tongues, all of your prophesying, all of your healing, all your stuff without love is pointless. This is why you're stuck. This is why your destiny won't move forward because it will only move at the speed of your willingness to obey the word of God. And he says, forgive them. So how do I do that? Well, first, stop making the racket. Because it's annoying. And I think it's annoying to God. He says, man, come on. This is, why, this is why when you have unforgiveness in your heart, sometimes it's hard to lift your hands in worship. Because God literally doesn't want to hear it. Do you want to hear that all day? It's tough enough for me. <laughs> I'm not a drummer. I don't want to hear that all day. It's, it's annoying. And God's just waiting for you to stop. Just, 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 just stop making the noise and actually listen to his voice. And his voice would tell you, you need to forgive them. So how do I do it? Well, you walk down Justice Avenue. You be honest about what they did to you. Be honest then about the consequences of it. And then you receive the gift of forgiveness from the Holy Spirit to be able to impart it to people who intentionally wounded you. Who knew what they were doing. They're not sorry about it. Probably never will be. And you don't say it's okay what they did. Absolutely not. But you say, look, there was a purpose in it. God brought them into my life in such what I would call an evil way and what Joseph would call an evil way. 
But God had good intentions for what they had evil intentions for. And just like hell, I think, will be full of people who thought they were Christians but had unforgiveness in their heart. I think heaven will also be full of people who worship side by side with the very ones that caused them pain. With the jailers, with the Nazi uh, uh, internment camp directors. Right? Corey Ten Boone, along with her rapists. And it's so interesting. We buy into the enemy's narrative that, well, Ukraine, Ukraine is good and Putin is, is possessed by Satan. So let's pray for Ukraine and let's curse Putin. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said, you've heard it said by men of old, you should love those who love you. You should pray for those who bless you. He said, I say to you, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are evil. Bless those who curse you. This is the, the final test of forgiveness. Are you willing to bless those who have cursed you? If you're still not willing or ready to bless them, really bless them, see them happy, fulfilled, loving God, saved in heaven with you for eternity, if you're not ready to bless them, you haven't really released them yet. Say, so how do I do that? Well, you go to the cross. Would you just, in your mind, would you just go to the cross with me right now? If you close your eyes. Father, we come before the cross. The cross where I find my forgiveness. And maybe you're here today and you yourself need forgiveness in your own heart. The cross is available to you. Christ died for you. He took your shame, your sin on his shoulders. So all you have to do is say, I believe that. I receive that for me, for my sin. I receive it. And then just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a fresh start and a clean slate. Thank you for washing me clean. First John tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness, Lord. And now look at that same cross and realize that what was done to you is also on that cross. That Jesus died and suffered. That the spotless Lamb of God was brutally murdered for your sins and mine and those who have sinned against us. That if they will have it, that same mercy is available to them. And that Jesus carried it. Jesus carried the sin that was sinned against me. So don't take it from him. Don't put it on your shoulders. Leave it on Jesus' shoulders. And even thank him, because he is so merciful that he would not only forgive me of my stuff, which was pretty bad, but he'd forgive them of their stuff, which is so much worse. Because <laughs> he's that good. I mean, literally, if Hitler in his dying breath would call out to him, he would forever change his eternal Hitler's eternal destiny. 
You can't think of somebody who's evil enough. Epstein, you can't think of somebody who's evil enough and, and, and horrible enough that, that Jesus did not already pay the price for their forgiveness. He already suffered. Even if they don't receive it, he took it. And his excruciating death was excruciating physically, was excruciating emotionally, and was excruciating spiritually. He suffered on levels that we've never suffered before because he wanted to heal us from stuff and save us from stuff that we still haven't experienced. That's eternal suffering and torment. So we cannot possibly imagine the cost. But Father, right now we stand before the cross, we kneel before the cross, and we can only say thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for washing me clean. And thank you for your deep, deep love, not just for me, but for those who have sinned against me. And we pray, Lord, that they would find your forgiveness. We pray that they would find the peace that comes from not living with this guilt. We pray, Lord, that their families would be blessed. We pray that their bodies would be blessed. We pray that their minds would be blessed, that their emotions would be blessed. As, as Joseph said, that they would not be angry or what, sad at what they had done. Hmm. Lord, that they would, you would take away the guilt that the enemy, the condemnation, the enemy has piled on them for years and years and years over what they did to us that they would not be angry or sad about what they did, that they would be able to forgive themselves, even if they never apologized to us, that they would be able to forgive themselves and that they would find in Jesus a Savior who can save, who can heal, who can deliver, who can change. But we don't ask for any repercussions to be placed on them because it's already been placed on Jesus. And we worship the spotless Lamb of God <laughs> with voices that don't sound like clanging cymbals. <laughs> we worship the perfect Lamb of God. Now I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have love. That's actually later on in the chapter. It's powerful. Lord, give us the gift of the love of God. Let it grow in our hearts. The kind of love that loves those who are even persecuting us. The kind of love that doesn't just sweep it under the rug and say it's okay, they didn't mean it, but the kind of love that understands exactly what they meant and chooses to let Jesus carry it for them. Jesus carried their offense. Jesus died for their sin against us. We don't have to die for it. <laughs> so we take ourselves off the cross. We stop suffering on their behalf because somebody has already suffered on their behalf and has won. We let Jesus be the Savior. And we come under Jesus as sinners also who need his grace.
We humble ourselves. And we say, yeah, Dad. We messed up. Shouldn't have done that. And we'll go ahead and take what you have for us. We'll take all the restoration. And forgiveness isn't always restoration, by the way. It's not always reconciliation. You need to have healthy boundaries, which Joseph had. But in his heart, (laughs) he was weeping over them and hugging them and saying, do not be angry at yourselves. Lord, may that be our heart. That comes from the work of God in our lives. May that be our heart toward everyone who, who has wronged us. And then, may we pray for Ukraine. And then, may we sing and shout and preach and testify to the amazing power of the love of God.